welcome to Freightonomics. I am head of market intelligence, Zach Strickland. This is chief economist, Anthony Smith. And we are here on this podcasting show <laughs> to break down the current freight and economic environment, mash the two together, hopefully give you the information that you need to go about your supply chain management or transportation and logistics day. Uh, and Anthony, it is, we had our first earnings. We'll go through JB Hunt. Uh, that call, I'm going to break it down. I'm going to call out some things that I find uh, emotional for myself. As you know, I am emotional about my finance. Uh, but we're also going to talk about what to take away right now. As everybody, economically speaking, we're, we're in a lull <laughs> mm. where things are slowing down. They look like they're continuing to slow down. Everybody wants to postulate about when is it going to turn? Are we turning? Are we at a bottom? We talked about this for the It's been the theme of 2023. Uh, are we hitting a bottom? Soft landing, hard landing? No, no, no. But we got a little bit more information. We're going to go through that. That's right. Think? And I will be looking down from time to time just because if you want to join in on the conversation, you disagree with me, you disagree with Zach, you agree with both of us, or you just have an opinion of your own, or you just want to shout out, you can join us, of course, and LinkedIn if you are happen to be watching live on this 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time Tuesday. But don't get too used to this because I hear in the grapevine that we're going back to Thursdays at noon where we belong. Next week, going back to Thursday. So Thursdays at noon, back in our slot, uh, where I think everybody was pretty comfortable with it. Yeah, you know, I, I like some, I don't, I don't like too much routine, Yeah, but I feel like some routine is good foundation. And plus it got a little bit too hot on Tuesdays because Kaylee was saying that she had the best show on Tuesdays and I really wasn't about that competition, so. I'm not about to fight her. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> but this is the show, and of course, Zach, are we going to get kicked off with the marketing tune? Let's do it. Let's just let's give the people the information to go about their day if they so choose with the marketing two. Anthony, count, count me in. So starting in three, two, one, go. All right, this is going to be the index that I probably lead off with. This is what I tell everybody that I'm looking at literally every single day at this point. So if you're not doing it and you're a Sonar user, uh, just stick it right on the front page, if you will, otvi.usa. Uh, and it's our demand in index. It measures total truckload tenders. And this index right here is actually giving us a little bit of a sign of bottoming, uh, but it's extremely erratic. If you look at it historically speaking, we tend to have some stability into this time period. Like January is not a super volatile month outside of the uh, MLK. Uh, holiday period where you see these little troughs. If you look at the green and blue lines, they're a little bit more exaggerated there. Seven-day moving average of lower volume during the week of MLK. We just came out of it today, uh, but that volume is actually on par with where it was, and it's a little bit higher than it was in mid-December uh, of last year. So looks like we're coming out a little bit hotter than normal, uh, and especially since, uh, more than we expect, uh, considering if you look at that orange line, 2019, 2020, things were going down, trending down. That's what everybody expected. So right now, demand is still stronger than anticipated, still down significantly year over year. Let's go to the next chart and look at the NTIL, or the spot rates, excluding the total cost of fuel here, uh, based on our track uh, providers. And you can see that white line, that's our current year. It is on a downward spiral, extremely quick. If we were to forecast this line on a linear regression down, we're gonna hit where we were at its lowest point last year in mid-November, February 3rd, 
This doesn't look like it's going to be out of the range of possibilities. Let's go to the next chart uh, and close things off with our Votri, Rotri, and Fotri. Your favorite one, Anthony. <laughs> the blue line there, Fotri, finally diverting and starting to come more in alignment with the refrigerated and van sector as rejection rates come back to normal. So, Zach, there's a lot of, so on that last one, the mm -hmm. one that, uh, of course, that's close to my heart is... Yeah. Uh, that's why I wanted to end up with it, because I knew we'd have a little bit of a discussion. Well, I mean, we have to talk about it, right? So mm -hmm. we're looking at the Votri, and it's still moderating at a higher level than Reefer and Dryvan. But it is indeed starting to come down, but it's just kind of hovering at that double-digit level. Still. It's still high. Like, yeah. I mean, it's still pretty high. So this is, this is I, I, I love this index for probably the same reasons you love it. Uh, it gives me a decent indication of that industrial construction sector activity. Yeah. And that, in my opinion, is what's going to really hold this economy together if we're going to hold it together moving into the rest of the year. Yeah, I completely agree. And there's just so much runoff that we have to kind of account mm -hmm. for. So, of course, you mentioned that industrial side. That's a huge one. We talked about it last week um, on last week's episode around the ISM PMI. We saw the second month of contraction and downward movement in new orders and downward movement in backlog. But we have to keep in mind that this is a, uh, a, a indicator that is really based off the previous month. So just because we see a downward movement into contraction, doesn't mean that the entire industry is just, you know, coming is, is in negative territory. Mm -hmm. It means that it's worse than it was the last month. And that deepness in that number is definitely indicative of how deep the, the contraction is happening. So is it happening at a faster rate or a slower rate? And so there is still a substantial amount of backlogs to work through, even though we're seeing a contraction there. It's just showing that that contraction is shrinking at a very rapid pace. And so we're seeing that there's still that backlog to work through. And on the construction side, there's still an overwhelming amount of homes that have been authorized to be start with construction that have not yet been built yet or are still under construction. So even though we're seeing permits down, we're seeing housing starts down, there's still an overwhelming amount of projects that have been authorized but not yet started. Yeah, and permits and housing starts are both still elevated over 2019. Yeah. So just because they're down, they're down relative to the pandemic era, not down compared to pre-pandemic era, right? That's exactly right. And so, I mean, this is, is one of those areas where, of course, we're seeing some easing. And as you said, if we were to see any kind of ongoing momentum or something to carry us through, it would have to be that companies can continue to produce in such a way that we're getting through this backlog and that consumer demand doesn't crater too much and that folks can really kind of push their limits, financially speaking, and not fully overextending themselves because credit card utilization is in a concerning level. The savings rate is way too low and we're seeing consumers continue to buy. And so we would need to see that momentum to continue to move forward, but not it's, it's a very sweet and delicate spot that there has to be balance here because consumers really on the brink of just kind of Collapsing. falling off completely. Yeah, and, and consumer demand is the key to this whole situation. Uh, I think we actually, for the first time in a long time, have a reason to think the industrial sector uh, is, it has, is, is the reason that the economy is going to sustain uh, because we have a reason to invest in infrastructure, COVID, pandemic, supply chain, nearshoring, all these things coming together where de like deglobalization is not necessarily the best thing for the economy uh, as we've kind of subsidized a lot of growth with cheap labor in China and Asia. 
uh, and cheap energy in Russia. <laughs> and those things are falling apart now. So now all these companies, industries are moving their supply chains around. It hasn't, it's not going to happen overnight. <laughs> it's a very slow process, but there's a reason to build out different infrastructure to change their paths of capital expenditure. Now I do have, but all of that's also going to be dependent on consumers, health and well-being and willing to kind of finance this situation because the cost of money, as you mentioned, it's gotten a lot higher. I got a chart for you, Anthony. I pulled this one out. Uh, I want to pull up the PCE versus CPI. Now I drew this with my crayons uh, <laughs> on, on sonar and the what it is, and I, I'm going to explain it to the audience here. We've got a white line here that is personal consumption expenditures and billions of dollars for durable goods. It shoots up during the pandemic and we hit this like plateau and it looks like everybody's spending a ton of money and they're still spending a ton of money. Well, I've got a blue line on it. That's the CPI. Mm. <laughs> That's our consumer price and basically inflation. <laughs> and it goes even more up and to the right uh, and the blue line. So what I did, and this is not the exact scientific way to do it. I've done it in the past, <laughs> but I applied 2019 December uh, to uh, like cost threshold to our most recent December personal consumption expenditure threshold. And I drew a line, and that's what that line is down there at the bottom. And if you apply that line, that's actually exactly where it would be had we not gone through all this and inflation were kind of stable. So people are spending and buying goods at the expected rate prior to the pandemic. What are your thoughts here? It's it's one of those things where we're seeing, you know, as this is broken down, I love this chart here. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that kind of comes to mind is just even though we're seeing, you know, the latest CPI report come down, um, the latest PPI report also come down, that we're still very much spinning in an inflated environment. Mm -hmm. So even though it's starting to ease that, we still have a long way to go. And then it gets even more concerning when we break down the most recent CPI report and look at core CPI is still moving upwards or still very much elevated. And that one of the biggest contractors... Um, or detractors, I should say, in the report was um, energy and, you know, looking at gas. Now we're seeing oil start to tick back up. And so this makes it a little bit more concerning, but I, I, I love this chart here. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I basically was like, this is how we, we've actually come back to normal. And it's not that people are buying less goods than they did before the pandemic. They're actually buying about on par with what we would, had we not had a pandemic, that's what they're doing. They're buying durable goods about like we would have expected them to, uh, especially adjusted for inflation. So I found that extremely interesting. And I guess the concerning takeaway here, Anthony, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, is that their conditions are not looking better moving forward, right? Over the next six months, it really doesn't feel like the consumer is going to have the buying power that they had to support this spending because, like you said, they're putting all their on their credit card again. That's right. And I mean, the other big thing, because I, mean, I, I love this, again, I love this chart. Um, <laughs> we're looking at consumers are just really paying more and that instead of just really buying more. And so that kind of other puts other you know indices into perspective when you think about retail sales and things like that. Um, but the other big thing, of course, we're seeing more layoffs. Now, I don't think that we've seen the full... That's um, a lot of tech. That's a lot of tech. And so yeah. I don't think we've seen the full grasp of some of those layoffs. And that's a great point that because it is tech, mm -hmm. a lot of these jobs are higher paying roles. And so if we see enough of these higher paying roles really start to get impacted, it's going to tell me that wages might start to come down in a meaningful way because you look at Silicon Valley and you're looking at roles that, hey, you need to be making, you know, $230,000 you know, or something like that. 
in order to, you know, make ends meet in a one bedroom apartment, you know, in the heart of the city or something like that. In California. In California. <laughs> um, it, once you leave that, that, that role, you might be hard pressed to find another role to replace that type of income. So I think as we see. Or you some, just move to Tennessee. Or you or move to Tennessee. Or somewhere else in the country where everyone's the cost going to of living is a lot lower. <laughs> yeah, everyone's going to Nashville. Everyone's going to Cleveland, Tennessee. But of course, that screws up the inflation process in the rest of the country. So, <laughs> I mean, not that you can't do what you want to do, but still, this is where when you have these dynamics with one state having such a huge discrepancy from the rest of the country, the economics of the cost of living in the rest of the uh, United States can be disrupted. And this has been angering Arizona folks for quite a few years as so many Californians just come on over and buy everything up and make it so much more expensive. Chicago does the same thing. It's not all California. <laughs> all right. So, I, I mean, I guess the idea here is that we really need to pay attention to the consumer conditions. They're still holding on. The industrial sector still has some life left in it with backlogs as we're kind of shaking things out. The automotive sector for sure. I'm keeping my eye on the automotive sector because I think the EV is the next big thing in terms of like societal shift. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been traditionally over the last 30 years tech driven. Uh, not that the EV is not tech driven, but it's been more like small gadgets, computers, uh, things like the apps. Virtual headsets. <laughs> Virtual headsets. <laughs> and super fun. Um, but that's a big thing. Automotive is one of the biggest movers of freight. Right. Uh, so watching that sector, especially as supply chains reorganize. So we've got a couple of stories to go through, Anthony. Oh, uh, I think this is probably, yeah, this is newsonomics. This is probably going to take us through the rest of the show because there's a lot of stories here that I want to cover. Uh, the first one I'm going to go through kind of quickly. Um, not a big shocker here, but uh, Alan Adler uh, writes, why the used trucks pricing bubble finally burst? What? <laughs> I mean, I think we can take a collective, like, sarcastic didn't see this coming moment. Uh, yeah, no. Record new deliveries came through in December, which drove the uh, price of used equipment down because now there is the orders are coming through. You don't need to go buy a used truck. 15% uh, year-over-year growth in new orders as well, Anthony. <laughs> so what this bursting. Um, one of the big things that was really hurting, I know, was the smaller operations because they bought these expensive used trucks in this heated up market and then they had these crazy payments maybe and then they weren't able to make their money's worth because rates started to come down, especially on the spot market. Do we see that this could be a potential saving grace for some of those smaller or medium operations? No, this is a terrible sign uh, because <laughs> the, anybody that bought their used equipment in the last two years bought at a premium and now that truck has just lost a ton of value. So you got to carry that depreciation <laughs> of something that now has almost no value or that you're basically are paying on something that has lost its value quicker. Right. So instead of you buying a $150,000 vehicle and depreciating it over the next five years <laughs> or whatever rate you, you so choose, uh, you're now kind of depreciating it like on a two-year run <laughs> yeah. uh, because the value is coming down so quick. Yeah, and this is funny because it's almost kind of being, not funny because I don't want anyone going through it, but no. interesting <laughs> as it's, if you see some of what's going on in the used car market, this is also somewhat similar as well when you see just on an everyday, day-to-day -day consumer, but of course we're focusing on freight here. Now you're kind of seeing it really hit the freight market as well. Yeah, because they can't sell that equipment 
for near the price that they bought it for. Right. So the salvage value is pretty low, um, and it's essentially that. So the small carrier really, or small fleet owner that did that is in is in pretty bad shape, and it's it. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a lesson. Right. <laughs> it's a finance lesson. Um, so next story: LTL carriers should bag rate hikes this year. Industry executives say. Now they interviewed uh, Todd Poland, vice president of LTL pricing at Old Dominion, uh, and somebody else that I forgot to put the name of in here. But they the the sentiment here is that uh, the economic in- impacts are more severe to truckload. But the industrial sector, uh, which highly influences the LTL activity, is now softening to the point where you should not take a GRI or general rate increase at the same cadence. This is interesting coming from, I, I, I don't, it's not the nation's largest LTL uh, carrier, but it is kind of like the people that set the market mm. because their services are considered a premium. Uh, people are willing to pay for the consistent LTL service here, and they're saying don't take GRIs, um, which kind of signals that they're not going to take GRIs, which yeah. means that the rest of the industry probably can't really expect to have room to take GRIs, which is, I, I don't know, a little counterintuitive to me for coming from the, the people that kind of benchmark and costs have gone up, right? which we are going to cover here in a minute with J.B. Hunt. Yeah, and I, I, th- I think this one's interesting, of course. I, and this one, was this the one also put out by, uh, was it Mark Solomon? Yes, Mark, Mark Solomon, Solomon does this. a great job. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, when we're looking at this, I, I think it's interesting when we see the the breakdown between the two different industries mm-hmm. and really what's going to be impacting the separate industries. And so, of course, I, I, I love looking at what's going on upstream and manufacturing. And so really being able to see how that might impact um, LTL I think is definitely going to be intriguing because when we're looking at the, we spoke about a little bit earlier on the ISM PMI, mm-hmm. that contraction is telling. It's, um, it's, it's at like its lowest point since like the pandemic, that first initial wave of the yeah. pandemic when everything shut down, right? Exactly right. And we get some updated numbers a little bit later on this week around, um, so we, sat, we had industrial production that came out as well that also eased and, and came down in the latest report. And I have to note here for industrial production, that number is composed of manufacturing, which is over 70% of it, mining and then utilities. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you'll see that uh, manufacturing can just kind of cover up for mining and utilities because it's such a large portion. But in the latest report here, we saw that um, overall industrial production was down uh, seven or 0.7%. And so when you look at manufacturing overall, it was even showing a contraction um, not just, you know, hey, there was mining and utilities bringing it down. So we saw that um, the durable goods, the consumer durable goods component of it was down 1.4% for the month and down 0.5% for the year. And um, we're still seeing that industrial production is up overall um, uh, 1.6 for the year, but really it's starting to show some cracks in the armor here. Um, We're looking at manufacturing being down 0.5% on a year-over-year basis. Yeah, I mean, the industrial sector is now, I would say, obviously retracting, contracting at a rapid pace. It's just fascinating to me because they even point out in here that LTL carriers have, and we know this, far less fragmentation. Uh, basically, most, it's like 80 to 90% of the total market is controlled by like the top 17 carriers. So nowhere near the complexity of the truckload market in terms of competition. It's absolutely more complex in terms of an operation. Uh, but uh, Bob Costello, chief economist at the ATA, 
said a recession that virtually everyone believes will happen should be relatively mild and short-lived, however. This statement, is this a little bit of industry optimism, or do you think that this is something that we can actually kind of lean on as a possibility? <clears throat> so I think <laughs> this is some industry optimism. Okay. And um, there's a few things here that I think that um, need to be taken into account. So there could definitely be a soft landing, and I think we kind of went through the scenarios a little bit earlier on about what would need to happen for that to happen. Um, the big thing is here, of course, we're looking at manufacturing. Um, we're seeing some easing going on right now. Um, we didn't talk about it just yet or, or throughout this show, but maybe next episode we can talk to the latest um, LMI report and what's going on with, uh, with inventories there. But we are starting to see inventories start to slowly be drawn down, of course. We're starting to see backlogs being worked through. Um, the big thing is replenishment, replenishment of some of these inventories, replenishment of capital good expenditures, replenishment of some of these raw materials is going to be a big thing. And of course, we d we're not at a full on near shoring level just yet. It takes no. time for that to be built out. And so that goes into importing and importing is going to be a big way to, that we're going to have to go about replenishment. But importing is going to be a lot more expensive if we continue to see the value of the U.S. dollar go down. And so that could be another inflationary builder as we continue to move throughout the remainder of 2023. The other big thing, of course, is the fight against inflation from our very own Federal Reserve. And so what we're seeing right now is that um, a lot of people are expecting that there's going to be a pivot to stop the interest rate increases. But I don't know if that pivot will be because um, we have seen enough evidence that there is a decline in overall inflation that we are on the right track or because the Fed wants to get ahead of softening the blow for the oncoming recessionary trends. And so that's going to be the dilemma that we'll see for a soft landing. Does the Fed pivot at the wrong time or at the right time? <laughs> and do we see the value of the U.S. dollar really start to make it inflationary building or an inflationary pressure uh, when looking to import or replenish goods? Yeah, big question there. I would <laughs> lean on the uh, the the former <laughs> rather than the latter here. So the uh, I want to hit one, two more stories. I know we got JB Hunt earnings too, but this sentiment index, check it out. Uh, Joe Antoshak hit this up. Super interesting stuff here. Basically, we have a freight sentiment index. Shippers, brokers, and carriers. Uh, brokers and shippers both became more pessimistic. Carriers became slightly optimistic or more optimistic. Uh, month over or quarter over quarter, I should say. So it's still in line that carriers are the most pessimistic overall, however. So directionally speaking, they did this. Carriers went this way, shippers and brokers went this way, but they're still, carriers are still a little bit more pessimistic than both. Interesting stuff considering, uh, you know, I don't know why. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't call it out, but you certainly should check that uh, article out. And last but not least, JB Hunt earnings report a huge miss. Mm -hmm. Now, I highly encourage you to read between the lines when you see these huge misses. Forecasting is not an exact science. And when we talk about earnings misses and things like that, these are forecasted by people that don't work inside of the company. And people that have worked inside companies over the last two years have had zero visibility into the future. Yeah. So really take a good hard look at some of these earnings, especially if you're a finance geek like me. Uh, year over year revenue, up 4.4% <laughs> for the total unit. However, J.B. Hunt is dedicated and are modal. Uh, you know, the only sector it doesn't cover is LTL, <laughs> uh, insert of transportation. So you've really got to take them all for what they are independently. 
excluding fuel, their revenue was actually down 2%, 2.9%. I'm not super concerned about that. The big hit to this overall thing was the brokerage side. Brokerage was down 32.8%. This is the most concerning thing. However, the market explains it clearly. The spot market and Q4 of 2021 was the hottest market of all time. <laughs> We're comparing it to potentially the coldest spot market of all time. <laughs> uh, so please keep that in mind. Contextualize your information. Do not take it for what it is. This company is not on an island. They are feeling the exact same thing, and they are the leading report for these earnings. Uh, truckload sector, revenue up 6.4%. Loads up 6.3%. <laughs> revenue per load up. <laughs> uh, all these things, you know, their costs were also up, uh, but they managed to pass a lot of that off uh, if you look through some of these earnings. So I highly recommend you check out those earnings, but don't just read the headline. Yeah. Look at some of these figures. <laughs> yeah, and I think you make a great point that you have to read between the lines, especially from their perspective and really what um, they're bringing through. But Zach, my heart goes out. So I, I, I'm not a hardcore salesperson, as you know. I, I like to write my reports and, and do my talks and do some data analysis. And my heart goes out to those that are trying to sell, especially those in a brokerage where oh, they're doing these, you know, goals or something like that. Your your comps like, hey, your your quota is a little bit low, you know. And my, my my broker brothers out there, this is this is probably your hardest yeah. fourth quarter that you can imagine, and I, I think that truly is the case here. Um, things will get better, not in January or probably not February, but yeah. they, they will get better. <laughs> and this has been Fredonomics, and next time we'll see you. We'll be on Thursday at noon. Thursday at noon, back at home where we belong. That's right. Bye, kids. <laughs>